1: Today, we're going to talk about the way that COVID-19 is impacting the MarTech industry. Joining us is Mark Serkin, who is the SVP of Marketing and Experience at Third Door Media, which is the leading provider of content and marketing solutions for internet marketers and the digital marketing industry. Third Door Media's websites and events include Marketing Land, Search Engine Land, Digital Marketing Depot, Search Marketing Expo, and of course, the MarTech Conference. Yesterday, Mark and I talked about how COVID-19 is impacting the MarTech industry as a whole, and today we're going to double-click in and talk about how the event marketing industry is transitioning to the digital world. Okay, here's the second part of my conversation with Mark Zirkin, SVP of Marketing and Experience at Third Door Media. Mark, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to continue our conversation. We talked about the impact, sometimes positive, most of the time negative, that COVID-19 is having on the MarTech industry. I think if I had to recap quickly, people are cutting their marketing budgets. They're focusing more on marketing automation, building content, infrastructure. Unfortunately, a lot of layoffs, a lot of transition. And we're starting to think about what the light at the end of the tunnel looks like. For the performance marketers, maybe things go back to normal. But the event marketers, it's a little bit of a different story. It doesn't look like we're gonna get twenty thousand people in an arena anytime soon. You've obviously been impacted through this. You run a content business and an event marketing business. Talk to me about what you're doing with your events and how successful has it been?
2: It's really been challenging and it will continue to be challenging for the foreseeable future. I mean, as we sit right here today, I think a lot of cities are debating reopening, and we don't even necessarily know what that means or how long it might take or what kind of impact that might have and so There's a couple of different ways to approach that question. First and foremost, we absolutely believe that in-person events will be back. We believe that they have huge value for marketers and that they're really, really great things that marketers can use to drive the kinds of experiences and lead generation that they want. The challenge that we have is when and how long is it going to take and what's it going to look like on the other side? And so... Today, the environment is really, really interesting because you're seeing kind of a collision of experience and delivering digital experiences. So webinars are not a new thing. Online content's not a new thing. Video content's not a new thing, but it's coming together and crashing together in a really interesting way where a lot of event organizers, us included, are trying to figure out how do we take our traditional two day, three day, four day event, multi track event with networking and breakfast and all this stuff. And how do you bring that online? And boy, that's been interesting. The first thing that happened when we started thinking about this is we said, we don't think that this is a direct analogy. Yeah, you have to organize sessions and you got to have tracks, but like, how do you do networking? What's that look like? Can you charge people for these experiences or is it going to be sponsor dollars only? How do you present sponsors? What do sponsors need out of a virtual experience? And again, it's a little bit of a combining of some stuff that we've done in the past with webinars in particular, but now you're talking about really expansive, extensive events. We just pulled off our MarTech event. So we had canceled MarTech conference in April, four weeks later, going to run the discover MarTech quote unquote conference online, pulled it off near magically. You know, you have to make decisions like, do you pre-record? Do you do them live? What kind of feedback do you want? What kind of networking? Like, it's just like, there's a whole host of things to sort of unpack to answer that question.
1: So what's interesting to me here is that you've brought out, okay, what's the interest? Are people still consuming content? What's the format of the content? What's the digital experience? There's also the sponsor relationships. How are you paying for it and how are you monetizing it? Let's break those down one at a time. And first, let's just talk about what the end product ends up being. Instead of getting everybody into a room, multiple different conference rooms, breakout rooms, different sessions at the same time, how are you thinking about actually building a product that's good for consumers?
2: Everything starts with can we deliver a value proposition for a marketer? In this case, Martech, we also have a search marketing show. But in this case, MarkTech conference makes a real explicit promise that when you come to a MarkTech conference, whether it's virtual or digital, you're going to learn some things, get some new ideas, walk away with tactics and strategies, and have a great experience that can help you do your job and help you become a better marketer, meet new people. So that doesn't change. Whether you're doing that online or you're doing that in person, that value proposition has to be delivered. The question of how you do that in a digital space with the current technology is interesting, right? You have to pick a vendor and certain vendors do certain things better than others. You know, we're recording this on Zoom. It's a great platform, but it doesn't have the enterprise sort of capabilities necessarily that a more robust or built-out webinar platform does. They have different costs or price levels. So lots of those discussions have to happen. And then the experience of being physically in a room with a speaker and hearing them talk and being able to go up and walk to them, like, how do you even approach that? How do you attempt to deal with that? So those are a lot of issues that we've had in our mind when we set out to build the value proposition, the initial experience. I don't know that we hit on all those things.
1: Where did you land in terms of, I don't know if you want to go into what tools you decided to use, but in terms of what the experience looks like, tell me a little bit about what the end product was.
2: So one of the things that we realized when we got into the situation, right, when the coronavirus first happened and we were so like, oh boy, we're going to be able to pull off the MarTech conference. We said, well, if we can't and we're going to do something virtual, what's that going to look like? The first place we went was to our marketing services group who does hundreds of webinars a year for customers. We said, well, what do you use? The answer was on 24. So we went on 24 and said, what can your platform do for us for something that is three days long with 30, 40, 50 sessions? What's that look like? So we had that conversation with them, and they came on board as a sponsor and helped us learn that part of the technology and get that up and running. So we ended up on that platform, and it's a fine platform. It's got, like every technology, it's got its pluses and its minuses. But once you pick a platform, unlike a physical event, which you pick a platform like a conference center or a hotel room, but once you pick a technology platform, you're sort of stuck with their thing. So On24 has a thing, right? It's got the little windows that show up, and you have the slide sync with the speaker, and you can have questions and answers and all that kind of stuff. A lot of that stuff's commoditized, to be fair. A lot of the platforms, WebEx has that and Microsoft Teams and Zoom has a lot of that stuff. But we had picked on 24 because in the four-week time that we had to get the thing up and running, there just was no opportunity to pick a different platform. So that's how we ended up with that particular platform. And you know, it performed, to be honest. We didn't have one technology-related issue once we got all the pre-recorded content into the system and ready to go. And that was a really big decision that we made that had real impact to our staff and my team. we pre-recorded 30 or 40 sessions with sponsors as fast as we could and get them produced and uploaded. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot. And if you think about it, it's very different than running an event where it's like, talk, 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 send me your deck, show up and you go on stage and perform and it's done. This is like a whole other deal. And so we're just now getting used to what's that really mean? How do we have to change our workflow? How do we have to think about the event experience in a digital space and make sure we get it right? So
1: as you think about hosting webinars, it's interesting to me that you're actually doing pre-recorded content that you're publishing at different times, right? So you're creating a live event experience because you're portioning out your content as opposed to just creating an archive and making it available. What was the rationale behind that decision?
2: Honestly, in the four weeks that we had, we said, how can we reduce some of the risk here? this was a really risky proposition to announce both the cancellation of the Martech show and the creation of the Discover Martech show and have four weeks or five weeks, four and a half weeks in between those two things. And we sat down with a team and we had a committee that worked on this and made a lot of these decisions. I actually (laughs) was kind of watching in awe as they pulled all this stuff together, but it was a risk reward thing. Yeah, we could do it live, but we still have to talk to the speakers. We still have to coach the speakers. We still have to get their decks, we still have to get everything in place. And then they also have to show up live and perform. So we said, could we get everybody to pre-record this stuff and reduce and remove all that risk? And the answer was, yeah, we pulled it off. And I think it was a good decision. I mean, again, can you imagine if the Eastern Seaboard internet goes down in the middle of a conference with 8,000 people registered I and mean, you're done? So those are things that in a live event situation, you know, if there's a, I don't want to say anything bad, but if there's like some kind of a terrorist attack or an earthquake or a bad storm, I mean, that's the equivalent of basically insurance against that happening by pre-recording. The other thing that's interesting about pre-recording is the replays go up instantaneously. There's no wait. There's no overnight processing. It's just done. You're just live. So I thought it was a really good decision. We were a little bit concerned about, well, is it really a live event? You could debate that to some extent. One of the learnings that we got was the next event we're going to do, we're going to try to get as many speakers live on the Q&A chat during the debut of that session so that we can have some of that live interaction. But it worked out great.
1: Interesting. Okay. So talk to me about once you figured out how you were going to run the event, you've obviously published the pre-recorded content. What was the reaction from the people that attended?
2: It was really good. In fact, we just got our NPS surveyed back and we're actually digging through that, delivering that to the company later tomorrow, which will be really fun. We do a whole kind of deep dive experience review and NPS is a big part of it, despite its flaws as a mechanism, which I'm happy to chat with anybody who wants to chat about that, but we use it and it's barometric for us, right? It gives a sense of good or bad and the results were really good. And the comments were even better, frankly. What we typically get from that survey experience is, you know, unnumbered and go, okay, I accept the number. But when you dig into the verbatims and the comments, you really start to see, did we deliver value? Did people feel like they learned something? And the answer was pretty much yeah. There were a couple of people that complained, you know, a lot of sponsor content, but preponderance of can't believe you pulled this off in the time frame you pulled it off, which is totally true. And some of the sessions really were stand out, really, really good stuff from vendors who really are understanding. That yes, you're selling, right? You go on stage and you're selling. But smart event marketers don't put salespeople on stage. They put the product guy or they put the woman who heads customer service or whatever it might be. They are going to put the right people with the right message and come to it with an education mindset. And this is something that's really changed in the event world over the last probably four or five years. It used to be you'd go to like a solution session or whatever, you know, whatever the event call and you go, I'm just going to get pitched. Now the expectation is that these vendors are coming to the table with real content. And it's exciting because who do you want to hear from? You want to hear from brands? Great, I got it. But if I can hear from the product manager from a platform that I really want to understand more about, that's great. Or I want to hear from the head data scientist from an AI marketing company. Great. So I think those are some of the things that are changing the event business that regardless of coronavirus that are interesting and we are really committed to give those people a platform and let them talk about what they want to talk about and hope that they don't sell because that's not what people want. They don't want to be sold to. They want to learn.
1: So I think the last component to think about with the event marketing space is, hey, are you able to monetize this stuff? You figured out a way to get the content, get it out to people in a fashion that makes sense. People still like hearing great speakers talk, whether it's in person or at home. I'm sure there's some loss in terms of experience and networking. But the way that you're monetizing these platforms are by putting butts in seats or through sponsorship dollars. Did you charge to get people access to the content or was it turned into a free event? And then, you know, how did sponsors react to this as well?
2: Yeah, it was a free event. It was free for attendees. And we're kind of watching very closely what other competitive shows, who I won't mention for obvious reasons, are doing. But what's so cool about what's going on, competitive or not, is the amount of innovation that's happening right now in the virtual event space. You're seeing incredible new technologies that provide really cool networking opportunities, one-on-one meeting technologies, group meeting technologies. You're seeing people come out with apps that go along with virtual events that are really sophisticated and really cool. You're seeing personalization of content. You're just seeing a huge amount of innovation because there are no events right now. And we don't know how long this is going to last. So this is Showtime for MarTech event vendors. This is their opportunity to shine. And there are so many people now rushing into the virtual space to say, hey, we're going to do a virtual event, because the truth is the economics of it are quite different. You don't need an AV company necessarily, I mean, you probably could still use some AV help, but you don't need logistics, and you don't need event planners in terms of layouts of architectural drawings. Like You take all of the real-world event stuff off the table and replace it with, with the virtual stuff, and conceptually, you, know, you can run an event a lot less expensively. The question of monetization is a great one. Because of these technologies are so easy to access, anybody can get a Zoom account, anybody can run a webinar, anybody can put a landing page up. I mean, we've made this stuff so easy from a MarTech standpoint. Everybody has the platforms. Everybody has the tools. You're banking on brand and you're banking on amplification and partnership to drive attendance to put those bucks in the seats. And whether you can monetize it or not, you know, I had a conversation with somebody earlier today that they said to me, I don't know why event sales teams think they can charge the same amount of money for a virtual event as they can for an in-person event. I just was like, really? Like, isn't it just about getting the leads? Like, at the end of the day, you sponsor these events as a lead gen channel. So I'm not entirely sure why one doesn't match the other if the quality is the same. Now, if the question is, is the quality the same? Fair enough, let's give it a shot, see what happens. But I think all that's evolving. I don't know where it's gonna shake out, but obviously we hope that there's a monetization plan there, but we'll see.
1: So that begs the question, were the results the same for the sponsors as you move from a in-person event to a digital event? How do you think it performed from lead gen? What did you hear from your sponsors?
2: It's apples and oranges. It's not the same. And the reason it's not the same is that when we canceled the MarTech show, we did some things for the sponsors that was in good faith to say, we love you and we want to take care of you and we're going to invest in this virtual event and we're going to give you a certain amount of leads out of this experience. You know That was not the normal way that it works. Normally you pay for sponsorship and you get a certain amount of leads and it is what it is. We sort of did some really cool things in both good faith for our sponsors and also for us to learn what's it going to look like. The search marketing event that we're going to run in June, SMX Next, which we just announced the other day, is going to be the first test of that system, which is you pay money, you get virtual sponsorship, you get leads, let's see if that works. I hope so. I hope it's going to work great, but we will find out in eight weeks.
1: It's interesting. Mostly when I think about the technology space, the content place, you know, we both kind of live in this world. I create podcasts. I sit here and talk in front of a microphone and we try to provide value to our sponsors and do attribution and tell them who's coming to their website. And on the flip side, you know, you do the same thing at events and the in-person things are being transferred to digital. At some point there still is value getting in the same room. What do you miss the most about not being able to pull off the live and in-person event and How much are you itching to get back to that?
2: I can't wait. Again, this is why 25 plus percent of marketing budgets are in person. There is something really magical about sitting in a room with 500 people, 1,000 people, 1,500 people, listening to a keynote, being blown away by an insight, walking out the door with people that you don't know and having conversations, sitting down at lunch. It's unique. I don't know that virtual or digital can replace that. I think it can certainly augment that. I'm certainly a digital guy. I spent my whole career doing digital stuff. but. I can't wait to get back to an in-person event, not only because it's how we drive our business and what we know how to do, what we built the company to do, but because, you know, there's just people that I like to hang out with and happy to hang out on Zoom anytime you want, man, but I'd much rather hang out in person.
1: Mark, I can't wait for the events to happen again. I'm looking forward to MarTech. I'm pissed that I missed the one in San Jose. I wish I could have attended in person to shake your hand and tell you how much I appreciate you. And I appreciate you coming on the show. And I hope everything gets back to normal soon. Thanks for being my guest. Finally, we got you on the show.
2: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And it won't be a handshake, unfortunately. It'll probably be a fist bump. But either way, I can't wait to see you.
1: I'm giving you a hug and we'll just roll the dice.
2: <laughs> Sounds good, buddy.
1: All right. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Mark Serkin, SVP of Marketing and Experience at Third Door Media for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Mark, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is M Sirkin, M S I R K I N. Or you can visit his company's website, which is thirddoormedia.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com. We've got summaries, our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our newsletter, or you can send us your topic suggestions and your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on the show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and tech